Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather tonight, Lord, to uh, talk about um, an important topic, the idea of unity, what it means to grow together and follow you, Lord. And so we just ask that you open our minds and our hearts tonight, Lord, to your word, that it would take root, and you would speak through Chaim to each one of us. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen. Amen. Welcome to everybody. Um, as always, this is a good um, uh, teaching strategy, and that is to have some review. Uh, <clears throat> I've entitled this series uh, Yeshua's Vine, uh, which obviously is a, is a uh, reference to John 15. Uh, where the Lord says that He is the vine and we're the branches. But the basic uh, theme, the motivator for me, has been uh, the conviction uh, over a number of years that growth is a normal part of the kingdom of God. And when you go through um, a bunch of years where you don't see a whole lot of visible growth, then the temptation is to become discouraged and, and say, uh, A, God is not working, B, uh, there's no fruit, and C, there's no growth. And you know how folks are, they are so eager to encourage you when you're discouraged. In other words, to pile on more gas on the, on the, the flame, um, and and uh, so this is particularly true for us uh, who have the uh, REV or REB letters before our name that people are inclined to say something like how are things going how is your growth and and etc etc and so part of the challenge for us for all of us actually is to come back to the truth of the Word of God and say, that's what the Word of God says, and I'm going to grab it with both hands, both feet, because that's reality for me. Uh, that also means that, yes, it is true that there are times when all of us go through desert experiences. Um, God allows it. Um, and some. T- not sometimes, but always for our good, because remember that uh, deserts are quiet places, which means there's not a lot of noise, which means that we're more inclined to listen, to hear, and also because there's not much food and water, we're desperate uh, to listen to God because we know we need Him. Uh, Desert is also... Desert times are also dry times, which means that we wonder, where is the Lord, what is He doing, who are you, where are you, etc., etc. We go through all of that. However, desert experiences are never designed to characterize our life as a whole. There are periods of time, just like the Lord allowed Israel to go through the desert for 40 years, but the... Uh, The goal was for them to come out of the desert into a land flowing with milk and honey. And so as I understand, as I have studied the Word of God, I've come away with the conviction that that's God's will for us, to be in a land flowing with milk and honey. Not necessarily the prosperity shtick, um, but prosperity in the sense that... Scripture tells us that as we obey God, um, what is appropriate for us to expect is that He'll bless us. There's blessing and obedience, and there's judgment and disobedience. So part of the picture for us then is to say, regardless how I feel at this particular instance, um, I know that God has growth for me. And I want to receive it, participate in it, embrace it. And, and that's true for us individually and true for us 
corporately as a mishpacha. And so this has been the underlying theme here. And um, uh, we, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, which kind of gives us a basic summary. Uh, if you recall, uh, the direction is Yeshua. Because things come from Him and are directed towards Him. In other words, our growth has to be focused on Yeshua. That if a year or two years or three years from now, you look at yourself and you say, you know, I'm no closer to the Lord now than I was five, ten years ago, you have a real problem. And you need to stop and you need to seek God. You need to pound on His door big time. You need to say, Lord, things have to change. Um, secondly, uh, this is in Ephesians 4, um, 11 to 16. Secondly, um, the goal is for God's people to, to come together in unity. And we'll talk a lot more about that tonight. And in maturity. And remember, a few weeks ago, if you were here, that when we look at a baby, they're all cute and cuddly. And when they go goo goo gaga, you say, wow, that's wonderful. However, if you look at a 60-year-old man who says goo goo gaga, you say, that's a problem. Uh, the same thing applies spiritually. Uh, the Word of God tells us, here in, in Ephesians 4, two basic uh, traits of someone who is spiritually mature. Uh, first of all, someone who knows how to sift the truth from the baloney. The Lord knows there's a lot of baloney floating around. Uh, so that's one. Secondly, a person who is mature is someone who knows how to speak the truth in love. Uh, that's a big one because... Our inclination, especially if we get into conflict situation, is is to let loose under the guise of "I am speaking the truth." Well, uh, you're giving one version of the truth. The only one who has the complete version of the truth is God. And so, um, speaking the truth in love means that we learn to walk in integrity and, and um, transparency, openness, and part of it is that we know what comes out of our mouth needs to be for the building up of a person, and that's, that's the definition of love. What is best, what is God's best for that person, rather than I'm bothered, I'm angry, i got to get things off my chest, and you're going to hear all about it. That's not truth and love. So maturity is part of the growth. We'll talk a bunch about unity tonight. And the result is, the process here is that every, uh, let, let me re change it real quick here. This is 100% compliance. And if you may have heard the 2080 uh, principle, that 20% of God's people do 80% of God's work, I don't find that in Scripture anywhere. Uh, in the Word of God, we find that it's 100-100. 100% of the people do 100% of the work. You find that here in Ephesians 4. You find it elsewhere. Uh, last uh, last Wednesday we looked at divine, and uh, a couple of things I wanted to remind you about divine is again fruitfulness is normal. Not being fruitful is abnormal, aberrant, uh, because Yeshua in John fifteen sixteen says, "You have not called me." But I have called you that you should go forth and bear fruit, that it should be long-lasting fruit. Um, 
In other words, the kind of fruit that's there for the long haul, long-lasting. Uh, and we spent a bunch of time talking about what does fruit mean. And, of course, some people like to pigeonhole fruit and say this is the fruit of the Spirit or it's something else. Obviously, this is referring to God's work, the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, which means it's going to go across the board. It will be uh, attributes of character, which is what we find in, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is, etc. But it also refers to God's impact in people's life through us. Because He pours He pours His Spirit and His Chesed into us. It has to go somewhere. It overflows and it impacts other people. Uh, that's part of the fruit. And so... Um, in, in John 15, Yeshua says that um, that when we don't bear fruit, uh, Father God comes with a pair of snips and, and does some pruning. Why? Because there are parts of us that are being unproductive. Um, you know, we can go on and describe all kinds of stuff. Either we're filled with ourselves and our agenda... In which, in which case God has to say, uh, my kingdom is not about your agenda. My kingdom is about my agenda. And so God has to come and do some pruning and we can take one or two approaches to that. We can say, God, go away. Don't prune here. Or we can say, God, please come and prune because I want to be productive. I want to bear good fruit. I, time is short. I want to be about your business. And what's, not it, what's in me that is not of you, please cut. You go, ooh, you're, you're masochistic. Well, not really. Think of it this way. If there's stuff in us that's not of God, it's not going to be pleasant, productive, and, and it's not going to be a blessing to us or anybody else. Do we want to hang on to it? Or do we want to say, God, take it. Take it. I want more of you and less of my yuck. So that's part of what Yeshua said he, in John 15. He said, the branch that is not productive is cut and thrown away. doesn't mean that the Lord is, is ready to give us divorce, but He wants to, to work to bring about... Uh, greater productivity in us. Um, so tonight we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, and let's dive into uh, into this verse 7 to 27. And let's see, uh, Mano with the uh, avalanche hat, uh, would you read to us? Yes. First one yourself, correct? Yes. Seven? Yes. Moreover, to each person is given the particular manifestation of the spirit that will be for the common good. Uh, continue, please. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> the one that the Spirit is given a word of wisdom, another a word of knowledge, in accordance with the same Spirit, to another faith, by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by the one Spirit, to another the working of uh, miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to judge between Spirits, to another the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues, <clears throat> and, and to yet another the ability to interpret tongues and one and the same spirit is at work in all these things distributing to each person as he chooses for just as the body is out but has many parts and all the parts of the body thought many uh, Constitute one body. 
So it is within the Messiah, for it was by the by one spirit that we were all immersed into the body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Okay, why don't you pause there? Now, a little bit of background about about uh, this letter. Um, the Greeks were not exactly the most righteous kind of individuals as idol worshippers, but even for them, when they said somebody is a Corinthian, that was not a compliment. That that meant that someone was depraved, and so the Corinthians came out of that kind of a background. And so, uh, which is why most of the letter, the first letter, uh, has to do with problems. Um, and by the way, as you read the letter, you see that the Corinthians were very much 21st century. Their issues are the issues that are endemic to people who are, uh, who are followers of Yeshua. A great deal of similarity, uh, particularly with the attitude and immaturity. Um, let's zip over to chapter 3 um, for a minute, and then we'll come back to chapter 12. We'll part in chapter 12. But chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, and Pauline, if you find it, would you read it, please? And I, brothers and sisters, could not speak to you as spirit-filled, but as worldly, as infants of Messiah. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready. Indeed, even now you are not yet ready, for you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, aren't you worldly and walking in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere humans? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you came to trust, and to each as the Lord gave. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God, who makes things grow. Now he who plants and he who waters work as one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. Thanks. So, what do we know about the Corinthian believers? Well, uh, they were a group of believers that was characterized by a lot of what we would call charismata, uh, which simply means gifts of grace or spiritual gifts. Uh, you see, especially in chapter 12 to 14, Paul spends a lot of time talking about the right use of spiritual gifts, um, which is, they had a ton of spiritual gifts, yet what does he say to them in verse 1 here, chapter 3? I could not speak to you as, as spiritual, even though you have lots of spiritual gifts, I could not talk to you as spiritual. Why? Because you're spiritually immature. So what he's saying is that having spiritual gifts, having power, does not make you spiritually powerful or spiritually mature um, and uh, unless there are other uh, aspects of who you are as, as a person, as a follower of Yeshua, that unless you demonstrate depth of, of character, that you cannot be described as someone who is spiritually mature. In fact, he says, you are immature. You, I, I talk to you like I talk to babies. Gaga, guga. Why? Because you guys don't understand that being believers means you have to be one in Messiah. So for you, you think that because you have the power and the spiritual gifts, that it is okay for you to be squabbling and biting each other. And Paul is saying to them, and by the way, remember that Paul was their spiritual father. 
the, the congregation there came into reality through, through his ministry. So he says to them, you guys are babies. Uh, and it, he is not being flattering. He is, he is being severely critical of these guys. Not that they had the spiritual gifts, but the fact that they were abusing it. And that's something we see throughout here. So the, the issue that Paul deals with here is their inclination to be divisive. So part of what it tells us is that um, unity is a major component, has to be a major component of our life. Uh, we saw that some in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, um, but it, it, is, it is so strong here, it's in the face. Uh, if you were to go through this chapter and count a number of times, the word one or same appears over and over and over and over and over again. Um, Paul is saying to them, do you guys get it? 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 And furthermore, do you guys get it? There's one God. There's one Lord. There's one Holy Spirit. There's one body. Not a ton. And don't you go around dividing because unity is very, uh, very dear to the heart of God. Remember in John 17, Yeshua prayed for unity of his disciples. Four times in, in chapter 17, he, he says, Father, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one very basic cardinal uh, expectation of the Lord's part. And, and so here, part of the picture is that he doesn't speak about this is what's wrong with you guys, but rather he is presenting to them <coughs> the, <coughs> the uh, model of what you need to do. And a friend of mine uh, used this picture that has always stuck with me, that believers sometimes tend to use the we-be-gone approach to spirituality. You know what I mean by that? You know what we-be-gone is? You don't know. That's Round the, the... Huh? Roundup. Roundup. Oh, it's a weed killer. Weed killer. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. You can... If, if you come from uh, God, if you come from God's country back east, you probably have different names for it. Yeah, weed killer. You know, you get down and you look for the uh, um, crab grass or, or uh, different kinds of grass, and you go. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, well, that works sort of. And then guess what happens? The weeds come back. <laughs> Especially a real nasty variety called bindweed. I, I seem to be to have been blessed with a whole bunch of bindweed. And dug it, dug it, dug it, it comes back. So you can take the weed begun approach or you can take the fertilizer approach. Fertilizer means that you give lots of water and good food to to the, to the right kind of stuff for it to grow and choke out the weeds. And that's basically what we have Paul doing here. Um, in other places, he will talk about the need to get rid of the weeds. But here, he's talking about the fertilizer. Um, and one of the things that he wants to deal with is the problem in the visualism. There we go. Uh, he'll talk about the unity, but when he talks about the positive stuff, what has to pop up is the disposition, the inclination uh, towards individualism. Um, and this is the spirit of the age today, folks. Um, 
what I am is what matters. What you are is secondary, tertiary, etc., down the list. Um, and particularly in Corinth, this was a problem having to do with the gifts. It wasn't just in Corinth, it is today, that you have power, and God uses you to, to do spectacular things, and where does the emphasis go? On the individual. On the individual. Look at me. I, I'm such hot stuff. Yes, ma'am. Wasn't it true that there were temples in Corinth, and the women were the priestesses? And isn't that why Paul addressed the idea that women were to submit to the husbands or the men? And so there, that was one of the reasons why, is because the priestesses had used so much power and knew the use of power? Well, that was part of it. Um, but in chapter 14, Paul makes the statement that the principles that he is laying out in Corinth was also what he had laid out in other places. Corinth was especially bad. You know, you had the temple of Aphrodite where supposedly there were a thousand priestesses and so on. Um, but the point is, um, things were severely out of order. So, uh, part of the picture had to do with, with the spiritual gifts. Now, unfortunately, we haven't graduated from Corinth yet. Um, because people tend to have such a 21st century approach to this. Now, I'm going to pick on something for a minute just to make a point. Um, you've heard people talk about spiritual gifts inventory, right? How many have heard of that? No? Yeah. Never heard of it. Well, it's, it's basically something that you take, it's like a test, mm -hmm that uh, asks you to answer, and based on your answers, you're given a basic category of these are your spiritual gifts. Um, which I suppose has some value uh, in terms of helping people to think about spiritual gifts in general. Uh, but we need to remember a couple of things. First of all, the list of spiritual gifts that we see in Scripture in three places, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, uh, these are not complete lists. They're representatives. In other words, Paul is saying, oh, by the way, we all have spiritual gifts. Some of us have this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And he doesn't give us a, an encyclopedia of spiritual gifts. He says... These are some of the things that we're, we've been given. The other issue here is that um, gifts inventory give us the, can give us a false expectation of how do we learn what is the gift that God has given us. And stop and think for a minute. How do we know what it is that God has gifted us and called us to, to do? When we do it, okay? Does God open the door and say, from here on, you're going to have this awesome, gifted ministry? No. Why not? It might stop working. Huh? It might stop working. <laughs> okay? Remember Yeshua's parable of the talents. What did he say to, to the servants who had two talents and five talents. Multiply. Well, yeah. And, and they did, but after they did what they did, and they came back and said, Lord, uh, here is the stuff that we did, what did he say to them? Okay. You've been faithful... In the small stuff, therefore, you have shown yourself to be trustworthy that I can give you more stuff. And for many, many years, I used to think, Lord, that's very nice of you. 
I'm having a hard time with the little stuff you gave me, and you want to give me more stuff? And then I, I realized, I realized what, what the payoff was. The payoff was not that God wanted to give me more headaches. The payoff was that, that, that um, the master says to the servant, come into your master's joy. Now, what do you think that means? Yeah, it talks about God's more of me, more of my presence, more of my joy. And specifically, in this sense, it has the notion of you and I are buddies. You and I are partners in doing this work. You've been faithful. You've shown that I can trust you with the small stuff. That means that I can give you more responsibility. But this is not about you. It's about us. It's about us. And, and so, uh, when it comes to the gifts, we begin with the small stuff. God opens our eyes, and the Spirit of God gives us a jab in the ribs and says, You see, there's an opening here, there's a need here. I want you to step and take care of it. Just like... I know he is not my type of spiritual man, but Samson, the, the Holy Spirit, uh, he was just taking care of his stuff, and the Holy Spirit came and, and poked him in the ribs and said, there's a problem here. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does with us, is he gives us uh, a stirring, and, and we see it, and, and we take steps, and, and we do it, and, and we... Because the Spirit of God leads us and empowers us, uh, we know that this is what God has for us. We take additional steps, and that's how we know what our gifts are. We have God's grace and favor in a particular area. And all of us have different, different places, different ways that we, can, that we can serve, without which, as we see in in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, without which the body doesn't work very well. You know, and, and, and Paul uses some high-quality sarcasm here. Uh, he says, what do you think will happen when your nose goes on strike and says, I'm not helping you out anymore? Or your jaw muscles decide not to work, so you can't eat. Um, so all these different ways, in, in a physical body, have to function so that the rest of the body will function. Now part of the picture here is we have a hard time understanding what it's like to be part of a whole, of a corporate, a collective. Because our culture is so much on me, 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 and maybe me and somebody else. Uh, but when the Lord looks at us, He doesn't see us as just a bunch of individuals. He sees us as a, as a body. And the word body is used here a bunch of times. Um, remember what, what, uh, what the Lord said to Saul on the road to Emmaus. Uh, on the road to Damascus. Excuse me. What did the Lord say to Saul? Why do you persecute me? Huh? Why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute not those guys over there? Why do you persecute me? Why did you show, say, speak like that? Bill? Because if you persecute one part of the body, you persecute the entire part because it's and you persecute, you persecute the, the Lord. Body. You persecute the Lord. Um, so this is very, very hard for us to get our arms around because the notion of unity, the notion of being one body, is something that really takes the Spirit of God to get us to understand and, and to, to cooperate with. Part of the picture is that there is unity and diversity. Now, when you think of something being one, what do you usually think of? Same thing. Same thing. 
you know, uh, a group of Bronco maniacs, all dressed in orange, all screaming the same way, all looking idiotic. Um, and people take that approach and use it to refer to believers that, you know, we worship together, we all hold hands this way or that way. Uh, in other words, we take a, uh, what I would call a Gerber approach. You know what I mean by Gerber approach? You know what Gerber is? Baby formula. You know, they put whatever they put, they, they stick it in a blender, and out comes this, this mush. So that's the assumption that we're all homogeneous. Well, we're heterogeneous. We're all different. And, and what Paul is saying over and over and over and over and over and over again is we have to be different in order for the body to function. And with each one doing his or her job, that's, that's the way it, it, it comes about. Um, and <clears throat> I, I want to get just a tad um, controversial, maybe. Part of what Paul is saying is from the moment you sign on the dotted line to become a follower of Yeshua, you became part of this body of Messiah. And, and the word that he uses there is baptizo. Um, immerse. And this is a word that simply means uh, you, you take a rag and you put it in, in some kind of cleanser solution and you use it. In other words, you, you immerse the whole thing. So he's saying that from the moment you and I became believers, the moment we signed on the dotted line, we became instantly part of the body of Messiah. Again, that's hard for us to get our arms around because we're so used to me and God, God and I. But somehow this is the miracle uh, that came about when we became believers. So, unity. Yeah. I'm thinking that without that, Yeshua point was now Paul bringing it to light as he goes out and teaches that without that there is you know the Messiah is not you know that's the desire of God and the Messiah to come together and without that realization of what each one of us has to do it'll fall apart that it will not be come to fruition, but his, that's not part of his plan. He wants us to join together, work individually, and yet work for the same end. And stay focused on that, stay focused on him. Right. Instead of going, well, they did this to me, or I didn't get that position. You know, you have to really, you know, give up that self, as you said before, desire, and just focus on, okay, i sure what's this for me to do humbling ourselves <coughs> and seeking more of him, the character of Messiah. So the question to ask is how easy is it for us to have unity? Difficult. Because we're all different. Difficult? I would say impossible. <laughs> Things are always impossible without without the Lord. Ephesians 4, 3. Let's turn to that. Correct. Make with one another. Oh, wait a minute. 
make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Can I go on? You know, that's fine. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, let's uh, pause there. So what he talks about is unity of the Spirit, um, which really means unity that comes from the Spirit, that the Spirit of God produces. So that means that if the Spirit of God is not at work, will there be unity? No. No. Not possible. Because human beings are what we are. We are fractious. You know, we can divide over anything. You know, if uh, somebody's colorblind, they'll look at this and say, this is purple. Uh, or we will divide over the election. Or we'll divide over this. We'll divide over that. Uh, or you looked at me funny, then I'm convinced that you're angry at me and, and I'm offended and so on and so forth. Um, so unity is not something that comes naturally to us. You know, uh, it's true for human beings in general. It's particularly uh, an issue for us who come from the line of, uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, we have been, uh, it's been said, you, you have two Jews, you have three opinions, and so on and so forth. Um, so to have unity, you have to have the Spirit of God working, doing stuff. Otherwise, there will be no unity. And part of the picture here, since we can't make unity happen, since it's, it's made by the Spirit of God, we pray. Now, I've got to tell you a story here, a real short one. Um, I was in a previous congregation a generation ago, and... Um, I had a working relationship with a man who leads it. The relationship went south, and it got difficult and downright ugly. And so we looked at what the good book says, and we knew it was not God's will for the relationship to remain ugly. So we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and prayed some more. And at some point, God opened the door for things to change and we're able to take a step. But first of all, it had to be the unity of the Spirit. And then we were able to do the rest of it, which was uh, make every effort. That's the Greek word that means uh, to really uh, be diligent and put a lot of effort into doing, into seeing to it that the unity comes about. What does that look like? Well, can you think of any practical uh, action that you can take to promote unity? Well, it's, it's not all about me, it's about you, Lord. That's what I say sometimes. When it's somebody, when it's somebody or something says something to me, well, it's not about you, it's about you, it's about the Lord. Yes, you is not, I know important. He is important. So it's, it's coming back to focusing on Yeshua. Uh, I was going to say communication. Communication. Um, what does communication look like? Being able to voice differences. I'm sorry. To voice differences. Okay, we'll take that. Uh, why is it important to voice differences? Because 
let it come to light, to weigh it, and to put it in perspective as to what, what the, the, the depth of what's dividing two people, and the pain that must be there. And no forgive and forgiveness has to be there too sometimes. Okay. So you you mention a bunch of things, but first of all, the basic process of communication. What happens if you don't have communication? You assume. You assume all kinds of stuff. You know? You get up in the morning, you come to service, you're you're tired and cranky and you twitch your nose and someone comes away convinced that that you hate them. And then the next Shabbat, you come and you twist your nose the other way, and then the other person is really convinced that you hate them. It keeps building and building. And it keeps building and building and building and accumulating uh, without the communication. Why is communication so important? Because, remember we talked about speaking the truth in love? We have to be open to realization. We, we, we have to be open to, to sharing. Communication, this is positive. This is like de dealing with uh, fertilizer, putting good fertilizer. Uh, you don't have good communication with somebody. You have no relationship. You don't have communication. You don't have any trust because the all kinds of misunderstanding and suspicion come about. Then, of course, in addition to just plain old communication, you deal with conflict. Now, I know we all love conflicts. And the truth, folks, you have two people, you have conflict. The potential for conflict is there. And you can approach it one of two ways. You can either say, this is awful, there's a problem, I have to fix it. Or else, you, like everything else in life, you bring God into the picture. And say, Lord, I have a problem here. There is a conflict. And your plan, purpose, strategy covers conflict situations. How do we know that? Yeah, we're told to love one another. It says, well, that we have unity. Okay. We're supposed to have unity, and conflict does hinder unity, or can. How do we approach situations where we have conflict? We first of all have to say, God, you're over everything. You understand that bozo, I mean, that lovely uh, person. <laughs> and, 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 and you know me, and you know my stuff, and you know what just took place here. And you say, God, in everything, you are at work to will and to do your good pleasure. Everything in my life is what you use as part of the tapestry to weave. You know, sometimes the colors are not so pretty, but it's part of the tapestry. God uses all of that to build His purposes into our life. So you say, God, here's the mess. I don't know what to do with it. So you come back to what the Word of God tells you, and we'll finish with this. Uh, Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18. Aaron, we haven't picked on you in a while, so... If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of the two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, 
tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Okay. Now, you have a process here, and we're not going to get into all the ramifications of what is involved in in expelling somebody. That's that's extreme. Um, and and in 26 years of corporate life as a as a congregational mishpacha, we've had to do that twice. After giving people at least two or three opportunities to to talk and and change but that's the the f- radical solution what does Yeshua begin with in verse 15 what's the oh, I said communication huh I said communication communication okay private uh, private communication all right does that include uh, getting on on Facebook and, <laughs> and telling everybody uh, <laughs> okay. Um, let's back up even more. What is Yeshua talking about here? The very beginning of, of this verse. If trust and confidence. If your brother sins. If your brother sins, sins. Okay. Let's talk about that. Um, what does the word sin mean? Sin by whose definition? By whose definition? God's. God's definition. God's definition. It's not, I'm ticked at you because you did the stupid thing against me. No, we're talking about sin, folks. Something that is clearly defined as against God's will, God's law. And yes, there are times when it's not quite so severe. It's time that, you know, David looks at me and says, you know, you're really, we're blabbing there. And I come away deeply hurt and crushed and, and, uh, and I have to tell him and so we kind of work it out and so on. But So yeah, the, there is the, the relatively minor things, but sin is big stuff, folks. You, you grieved me. You did something that really broke my heart. And unfortunately, we as believers sometimes take and shove all kinds of stuff into that category. This is sin, folks, as God defines sin. And so part of where we get into trouble here in breaking unity is we presume to be the righteous judge and there's only one who is the righteous judge. Uh, the rest of us make judgment calls. And sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we're way out in China. So we have to be able to pull our punches and recognize what's really taking place. Okay? You offended me. All right? You offended me. What does that look like? Well, is it really a sin? We, we have to be willing to pull our punches. In any event, what takes place is somebody is offended. You know, whether they're hypersensitive, thin-skinned, or whatever. They're offended, and they need to communicate. You offended me. You talk in, in private. You don't bring in the kitchen sink... And uh, five years ago, you did this to me. And then two years, you did this to me. By the way, I sat down with somebody several years ago, and he had compiled the list of what I had done to offend him over a number of years. And he just checked off all the offenses I had given him. Kind of went, really? Um, No, Yeshua said, go to them. And in Luke chapter 17, he makes it very very clear also in Matthew 5. You don't wait five years and go talk to the person. You deal with it. 
Otherwise, you don't have communication. Otherwise, you don't have unity. And what happens when you can, when you communicate? You you lay out the facts as best as you understand them. You don't say you rotten so and so. I could see in your heart that you had evil motives against me. And people do that. They presume to look at someone's heart and and read motives. You don't do that. You say, you offended me. You said something. There was action that offended me. And what should be the result if there is unity of the Spirit? Yes, forgiveness. Ask forgiveness and? Reconciliation. What's the word that Yeshua uses here? You have won your brother. Now, what does that mean? You won your brother, meaning that your brother or sister could have gone this way and the relationship could have been ruined and broken and instead you were able to, to come together and the relationship is, is, is restored and proper and you can go on and grow together in unity in the Spirit. Because remember that growth takes place between God and I, but growth has to include God and I and my brothers and sisters. There are things that God will give us that will only come about when we get them through our brother and sister. And so if there's a basic break there, then what God wants to give me is going to be hindered so Yeshua said, no, you approach it, you deal with it, and you win your brother or you win your sister. Yes, ma'am. Can I tell a little story? This actually happened, uh, oh, not too long ago, where I actually, I didn't realize it, but I offended a sister by something I said. I don't even remember what it was, and she came to me and told me, and I was just appalled at I, what I did. And I really asked her for her forgiveness, and we hugged and everything. And when I think about it, it hurts me because I did that to her. Um, but it healed when she literally talked to me about it, and I realized what I did. I, and I didn't try to deny it or anything. It's just that I didn't mean to come off like I did. And, um, I mean, it, it's, we have a loving relationship, and I did immediately afterwards. So it's, this is so right on. It's right on because that's what the good book says. That's what Yeshua says. <laughs> And, and so, if we understand God's sovereign control and His ability to redeem and to fix messes, then we recognize that even when there is conflict, and conflict will come about, guaranteed. That's something we can guarantee here. Conflict will come about. Somebody will step on your bunions. However, if we do things according to the Spirit of God, according to God's will then growth and development and maturation, maturity, will come about through that conflict. And God will use that because a good relationship is a relationship that not only handles conflict, but grows through the conflict. And so this is the, the picture that the Lord has for us, is, is unity and understanding of the fact that when there is disunity, we deal with it, we're committed to dealing with it, because the vision is not of God, and that's something that we will not tolerate. And it's not as if we can take uh, a two-by-four and fix it, but before God we say, Lord, this has to change. And so that's been our congregational value, our, our uh, corporate value as a mishpacha, as a congregation, that we are committed to unity, we're committed to 
communication. We're committed to speaking the truth in love. And by the grace of God, the Lord has been doing that in us and increasing unity in us. But that's because we want to be serious about what the Lord is saying to us, and that's how growth comes about. All right, uh, let's finish. And... Um, One of the Kershim, would you guys finish for us? Father, we thank you that um, you have gathered us here today as a Mishpacha, as a family word, and that um, we just pray that the words that we've heard from your um, from your good book, Lord, will settle within us, will cause fruit, Father, that you will give us wisdom as we chew on those words over the week. Um, we thank you, Lord God, that without you, we, we can't even be together. We thank you, Lord, that you are refining us, that um, it's like ironing, iron sharpening iron, Lord. And we can trust your work in us. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you and to give you praise and glory for all the work that you have done as you continue to bind us together, Lord. And we just pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.